This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Selfishly, I'm very excited about today because after the program, me and Elliot are sitting down with Brian Trache. If you're watching on 360 right now, I'm holding up the book, trying not to get the glare. All Roads Home. A Life on and Off the Ice by Brian Trache, co uh, with Stephen Brunt. Forward by Jesse Thistle. Very much looking forward to someone that personally I don't think we talk about enough. Like there are two players from that era that I don't think we talk enough about as far as being amongst the super elite. Um, one of them is Brian Trache, and the other is Peter Stastny. Uh, but man, Trache was awesome, like ridiculously good. Uh, looking forward to talking to him coming up a little bit later on. Uh, you will be able to hear that podcast, I think, next week. Anyhow. Um, as we mentioned, bottom of the hour, talking about Hall of Fame players with Paul Peduti. Should they be in? Should they be out? Elliot Friedman, an hour or two as well. And Sam Cosentino from the NHL on Sportsnet. Uh, his draft rankings are out now. Uh, in the meantime, I pumped the podcast, and so let's bring her on. Uh, she is one-third of the Too Many Men podcast, also uh, does outstanding work uh, with The Athletic. And she's here to answer a couple of questions. Well, she's here essentially to answer one question, and Shana, the, the one question that I have for you about a number of teams and maybe and maybe a number of players as well is, are they good? You know, here we are. First of all, Shana, good afternoon. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're on the Opal app, so you sound nice and clean. This is this is good. It's almost like I'm sitting across from you here. So no the, delays. The, I know it's so nice without it, right? So the, the, the question is, are they good? So we're going to go through a number of teams and go through uh, some players if we get to them as well. And I do want to park some time and talk about Matthew Barzell. Now, I was on yesterday with Greg Wyshynski, and I was saying to him, halfway tongue-in-cheek, but not really the more that I think about it, is I really want him to have zero goals and 82 assists at the end of the season and lead the Islanders in points with zero goals because it's never been done in the NHL, and I would just love to see it selfishly. Um, but let's begin by, by running down a few teams here. And like, you're so always been so wonderful at, you know, um, studying the underlying numbers and trends and seeing what's a mirage and what's legit and what's fool's gold and what is a lock. And, you know, watching the games last night, and there were only three of them. Kings beat the Oilers three to one, the Blues over the Blackhawks. Don't look now, but St. Louis has won four, uh, in a row. Blues beat the Blackhawks five, two and the Sabres. Their losing streak is now at seven after losing to the Ottawa Senators, who finally won a game, four to one. Uh, I got carried away with it. We all got carried away with it. The Buffalo Sabres. Are they good or not? They're not great, um, which I'm a little upset about. They're a team that I want to be good. I feel like they're fun. I like the vibes. I like a lot of their players. Um, Um. But... It's not great. It's interesting because earlier this season when they were putting together some wins and they had like a strong start to the year, mm-hmm. we saw some interesting trends from them that they weren't a great five on five team. There was a lot of work to do defensively, but they had the goaltending to, you know, account for that. And they were scoring goals. So sometimes when we see a team win and have the results, even if the five on five numbers aren't there, they don't want to tweak too much. They don't want to change anything because they have the results. The problem with Buffalo was it wasn't really sustainable if you're just relying on hot shooting or hot goaltending. Like, it tends to regress back to average, and we're seeing that now. So now their combined goaltending is allowing more goals than expected. Their power play is underperforming below the surface. There's not enough offensive generation, even though they still have results. There's a lot of work to do on their penalty kill, and these are Mm -hmm. all fixable things. And I think, you know, Samuelson getting back into the fold, uh, you know, 
on the blue line is going to be really big because he's a player that, while not flashy and amazing on the surface, takes on really, really, really tough numbers. So yeah. just absorbing those minutes is going to help them. But they need some work at five on five still. They're, you know, okay offensively, not great defensively. So, you know, there's progress the, uh, to be the, made. The, the, the one thing, and I, I mentioned this on the podcast, and boy, did I ever, like on the 32 pod, and boy, did I ever hear about it from, uh, from listeners. I just mentioned further to one of your points about how the goaltending numbers were were unsustainable. Craig Anderson and uh, and Eric Comrie and you know like now Comrie's out, so it looks like it's going to be the Uka Pekalukkanen show here, along with the oldest player in the NHL in Craig Anderson. You know, I mentioned that they were uh, unsustainable, and I really, really heard it from Sabres fans. And trust me, I take no delight in this Buffalo Sabres November swoon. It almost seems like it's it's annual. It's like, you know, the geese flying south. But here we are in November, and all of a sudden the Buffalo Sabres are, are taking this one in the ditch. But I've always waited for, and we've seen this before, you know, Bruce Boudreaux with the Anaheim Ducks, um, Patrick Waugh with the Colorado Avalanche, I believe Bob Hartley with the Calgary Flames, and there was one Minnesota year in there as well, where the underlying numbers were awful, and looked unsustainable, but the team just won. I mean, one of the things we never like talking about, you know, from this chair or from this side of the hockey industry is luck. And sometimes teams can get lucky for a game, for a month, and sometimes for an entire season. I was really hoping that Buffalo's underlying numbers would remain horrible, but they would still win. And the Buffalo Sabres marketing department picked up on the unsustainable bits and started to print T-shirts, Buffalo Sabres, the unsustainables, and it became a thing that they embraced uh, as a as a as a marketing device. Carmi and Anderson, the unsustainables, as it just kept kept piling up wins. Because I feel really sorry for Buffalo Sabres fans. Like I love these people, and I love the Buffalo Sabres. I grew up watching the Buffalo Sabres. I really, really want this team to be good. And at times, they're flat out fun to watch. Like. How do you not, you know, love watching Tage Thompson or Rasmus Dallin? Like, there's some elite-level players on this team outside of the the numbers, which can get real ugly when you say, okay, Buffalo Sabres, let's call up their spreadsheet. Is there anything that you actually enjoy about the Sabres? Yeah, absolutely. Tage Thompson has been outstanding. I don't think you can't have fun watching him play. And he's so intriguing to me because oftentimes when we see a player shift to center, we see their offense take a step back because now Mm -hmm. they're focusing on the defensive side of the game. And in Tage's case, he's just thriving offensively and he's becoming a force. It's the way he's scoring goals. It's the dominant effort of how he carries the puck in. That's so exciting to watch. And Darlene as well, like, We have such high expectations, and we're so impatient. We all are when it comes to players like Darlene who come in with such high pedigree that we want them to reach it immediately, and if they don't, everything, the sky is falling. He took a little bit longer, and there was a little bit of chaos in Buffalo that you know slowed down his progress, but we're seeing him become the player we anticipated him to be. We're seeing that two-way play, that offensive spark, that way he can control play from the blue line. I think last night was a really fun example against the Hurricanes when – Uh, I'm sorry, against the Senators, Senators. he was uh, at the blue line and they just kept passing him the puck and he just kept moving it and you could see the penalty killers trying to figure out where is he going to go next until he broke poor Cambrell's ankles. But like leading up to it, it's just the way you see he's starting to direct play and really lead the way. So I think that's super exciting to watch and it's going to be interesting because maybe they don't have that elite caliber core that we all expected, but 
you know, they're surprising us, and that's what makes it so much fun. And, you know, they have some really smart minds in that front office, so I'm intrigued to see what they do because I am a nerd and I like to root for other nerds. <laughs> but, you know, people like Sam Ventura, we saw what he did with Pittsburgh, so, yeah. you know, we're starting to see his impact on the Sabres. Uh, we're, we're, I think we got to reconnect. Shane, are you still there? Yes. Okay, good. So we just had a little buffer issue there with uh, with the Opal app. Um, interesting with, with Darlene as well last night, you know, um, when Mario Lemieux played, and I am not comparing Rasmus Dallain to Mario Lemieux, everybody calm down, but hear me out on this point. Players were afraid to challenge Mario one-on-one because they didn't want to be embarrassed. There is probably, in the history of the sport, no one more dangerous one-on-one than Mario Lemieux. He was, he would intimidate players. No one would want to go near him when he had the puck because of what he could do. And I wonder if, and we saw it last night, and that highlight goes everywhere, and every NHL team is going to see it. I wonder when players start saying, I'm not going to go challenge Rasmus Dallin at the point when the Buffalo Sabres are on the power play. First of all, if the puck's out at the point, fine, leave it out there. It is a low percentage shot. If they're going to fire at the net, they're just trying to make rebounds. Let's make sure we have enough numbers in front to clear said rebounds, and that thing is not going in. I, I wonder if we're going to get to a point where... You know, the, the, one of the things around the NHL is don't chase this guy out to the point on the power play. Let him play with the puck back and forth on the line all he wants, Shana. Yeah, I hope we get to that point. And like you said, like going to the point, first of all, to pressure the player at the point, I know you think that's the way to do it, but if you wait for them to try to make the pass and you pick off the pass, you have to look for the right trigger point when you're killing a penalty and just going at the player on the point isn't the way to do it because if you overcommit, you might pull yourself out of the zone. And yeah they're already moving the puck and we know that's something he can do i hope we get to the point though that he's this otherworldly offensive defenseman don't you know you have to stay on your toes and really think and try not to overcommit because he can spin his way out of trouble it's things we're seeing from like adam fox you know we know how smart Mm. he is or roman yossi if darlene can get to that level and i think he can i think just because he had a slow start doesn't mean he's not going to get there eventually that we're going to get to that point that he becomes that you know that blue liner that everybody has to think twice about when they try to beat him because he's smarter than them. You know, in the summer, I said, it's it's too bad for Haskinen and it's too bad for McAvoy and Hedman and Yossi because Kale McCarr is going to win this, you know, Norris Trophy for the next 10 years. Uh, I'm not so sure. There's some really good defensemen out there and now all of a sudden... Uh, Rasmus Dallin has entered the chat. Uh, okay, New Jersey Devils. There are 13 games on the go around the NHL this evening. Shana, uh, New Jersey involved in one of them, playing the Toronto Maple Leafs. New Jersey has won 10 in a row. Um, I think a lot of us look at this and say, we maybe shouldn't be surprised because all New Jersey has needed is one, goaltending, two, stay healthy. Is there anything more? Is there anything that I'm leaving out? Am I being overly simplistic? I've been accused of that before and rightfully so no you're not uh look the bar is very low for what the devils need because even last year if you look at what they did in front of the blue paint they had they had scoring chances it was just a matter of finishing consistently and that's something that tends to come if you generate a ton of offense you're going to start scoring goals unless literally every player on your team has stone hands which isn't the case for the devils Mm -hmm. so now that jack hughes is finishing we saw that last year and jesper bratt and nico he like that's that's a good foundation for them. The thing is goaltending. Last year, they allowed, I think collectively between their seven goaltenders, it was like 
65 goals above expected. It came out to, you know, like 20 points in the standings. And it still wouldn't have made them a playoff team, but it would have brought them closer into the mix. And, you know, we have to consider who they would have been taking points from. Mm -hmm. So maybe they would have been like a little bit more of a wild card threat at at minimum, which is progress from where they were before that. So now they have goaltending. And, you know, Vanacek is someone that I think is running with the opportunity he has in New Jersey. I think that of the two... I know Blackwood was kind of starting, like, the starter, it seemed like, based on his usage. I yep. really like that Vanacek's getting a chance because I think that he's, like, the he could be that breath of fresh air they need between the pipes, which really isn't much. It's average goaltending that they need, and they're getting it. And what really helps is that they're not testing their goaltender much. They're so good defensively, and that's where players like Siegenthaler come in and John Marino. And now you have Severson on the third pair, which just shows the depth that they have on the right side. You know, you don't need your goaltender to do much as long as you keep them insulated. And the offense is popping, too, because, you know, for them, the best defense isn't just shutting down play. It's turning defense into offense. That's the most proactive strategy you can have instead of being reactive to, you know, what another team is trying to just enduring shots and scoring chances against. They're going, no, we're going to stop this and turn play around. Um, The interesting thing with them is their underlying numbers have started to slip a little bit. Over the last couple games, it's starting to trend down. So if they lose to Toronto tonight, a good team at home who didn't play last night either, it's not going to be the, you know, it's not like, oh, my God, the season's over, you know, Mm -hmm. as big of a deal as it is going to be. It might be, you know, a loss is coming here. The part for the Devils that they need to keep track of is that they're not going against the toughest teams in the league lately. Their competition to start the year isn't as steep. Yes, they've taken on Edmonton, Calgary, Colorado, but for the most part, They've had a pretty easy schedule, so now it's a matter of seeing what they can do against these contenders and how to adjust accordingly to keep their underlying levels up to sustain this. So if they can do that against Toronto, they have Edmonton coming up soon, they have uh, the Leafs again, the Rangers, teams like that, that's the teams that they need to keep those 5-on-5 numbers in the right direction and you know make the adjustments along the way and not just rest on that strong start. So Elliot hates when I do this which makes me want to do it even more, and I'm going to do it again <laughs> right now. Um, Nico Heischer, Selkie. Uh, I absolutely think there's a strong possibility of it. The problem with the Selkie Award, and we've talked about this, is how yeah. it's voted on. It's Is it the best defensive center, uh, defensive player? Is it the best two-way player? How do we define defense? And sometimes it's shot blocks and usage and things like that, not actually what they're doing. If they have a ton of shot blocks, that might just mean that they're not stopping plays before they can even happen. They're just reacting yeah. to it. How do how should we define defense? And it's, you know, the stick checks and how they're turning plays around and can they transition the puck up the ice? And when you look by all those numbers and all of those thoughts and concepts, Nico Heischer does all of that, all the while going up against top competition. You, so you, you know, you, that, you just pause for one sec. You know, you saw that conversation play itself out most profoundly last season was in Calgary with Lindholm right. and Backlund. Because you can yeah. make the case for either one of those. Now, listen, Bergeron ran away with this thing last year. No surprise. His season was ridiculous. But in that one le- like that one slight level underneath Bergeron, depending on how you define the Selkie Trophy, you could make a case for either Lindholm or Backlund. And if it's just strictly defense, you'd probably say that Backlund had the stronger case, no? Absolutely. And the thing was, Calgary split their top competition between Lindholm and Backlund. Both of them did go up against top competition. So that that's like mm. one check mark. I think that's essential. Um, but if you really want to see it, say who was shutting down play the best, it was Backlund. He was much better defensively than Lindholm, but Lindholm had the offense. And that's the thing. In this league today, if you want to win the Selkie, 
you have to bring offense. You have to have scoring. And, you know, the knock against some players is if you're in a shutdown role, you might not be someone who plays on the power play, but it, like, it doesn't, you know, if you don't have the points, it doesn't matter. But they were in the race for second place, and it's interesting how much love Lindholm got. And he should have been in that top 10, but maybe not as high as he was, and it's because the scoring was leading the way, which shouldn't be as big of a consideration in this award. You know, when you're... When you're con- that's interesting, because when you're when you're considering who should win the Selkie, do you remove all, all power play points and just focus on, okay, we're focusing on the defensive ele- elements in the game here, so we're focusing on... Five on five, and we're focusing on penalty kill. You take all power play stats, crumple them up, and throw them in the trash? So last year when I worked on a story about the Selkie, I talked to Dom more about this, and he said take out power play points and just focus on five on five play. And I think I I tend to agree with that. I don't think we should be holding power play usage against a player. Does it help their case, like Bergeron, how dominant they are offensively while being elite defensively? Absolutely. But the special teams time that we need to keep focusing on is the penalty kill. Do they play top minutes on the penalty kill? Are they deployed on the fly versus, you know, for that first face-off? Are they disrupting play? Are they just enduring shots against? Like, what's their impact there? I don't care so much about the power play. Like, it doesn't... Mm -hmm. If you're a five-on-five force defensively, you should have chances in the offensive zone. It's like... Even before Val Nichushkin started popping off offensively, we could look at what he was doing below the surface the year prior, and it was dominating play in the offensive zone without the points to match. That's what we should be considering for the best two-way player. How are you driving play out of the defensive zone, into the offensive zone, and what defensive efforts are you making to sustain play in the offensive zone? Uh, we're against the clock already, which normally happens when you and I get together. So I want to get to a couple of things. I want to, there's a couple of things on my list here that I wanted to make sure that I got with you here today, Shana. So I mentioned Matthew Barzell at, uh, off the top. And as much as everyone looks at Matthew Barzell and says, hold on a second, no goals, 18 assists, it's a reverse Cy Young, and no one's really having a serious look at what's happening with Matthew Barzell. I think he's turning in one. I think he's turning in an amazing performance this year. For the New York Islanders, both, you know, uh, above the ice and, and under the ice as well with the underlying numbers. What do you see with uh, with Matthew Barzell, both uh, on the ice and on the spreadsheet? Goals are overrated. You know what? Goals are just overrated. <laughs> I told you. Doing- I, listen, I told, we, you and I talk about, I want to see him go, oh yeah, zero goals and 82 assists and lead the Islanders in points. I'm just dying for I'm that to happen. I'm just want love that to happen. I think the thing is too, like, he's... First of all, more of his assists, he has 11 primary assists right now. And yes, I think he has seven secondary assists. And sometimes we do write off secondary assists too quickly and sometimes rightfully so. Mm. But the thing with Barzell is, first of all, he should be scoring more goals than he is. His shot rate is up. It's the highest of his career right now. I think it's over 14 shot attempts per 60 when he's usually closer to 10 or 11. So that's a good sign. Mm -hmm. Expectations based on the shot quality before we even talk about the finishing talent that he has is, you know, around 5.4. So if he had five goals on the season, we wouldn't be talking about his numbers. And the other thing is, too, we have to remember the composition of the Islanders and how many net front players there are. It's really tough to get the goal credit on your goals if you are on the Islanders and you're not playing that net front role like Nelson can play, Lee plays, Pajot, Parise. Yeah. They have all these players who can finish someone else's shots, whether they mean to or not, and that takes away a goal from someone like Barzell. He's doing fine. His bread and butter is being a playmaker. He's generating you know, chances. He's elite in transition. We're watching him take over games. I think the perfect example is the Islanders against the Flames, that third period. If you watch what Barzell did, I don't think anyone's complaining that he didn't have a goal. They're just going to say how incredible he was at 
leading the way for his team. And yeah. that's what he should be doing. I'm with you. Every time I watch Islanders, like, this guy is dominating out there. Uh, there's no goals. Don't focus on that. But this guy should be, to your point, um, if he has five goals. And disappointingly, you're telling me that that's going to turn around and he's not going to start scoring goals. Um, this guy should be in the top ten. This guy should, yep. be, should be in the top ten as far as goal scorers go. Okay, got time for one more here. Let's be selective. Winnipeg Jets. Are they actually good or is Connor Hellebuck creating an, a mirage? Connor Hellebuck is playing amazing. He's third in the lead, league in goals saved above expected. They're not that great of a team at five on five. It's a, they're a little bit bland. Um, and it's not, I get it, Nicola, uh, like Ehlers is out and they're going to be so much better when he's in, you know, yeah. in the mix. Obviously, he's one of their best offensive players, especially at five on five because he doesn't get the proper power play usage anyway. But their defensive numbers aren't great. They are allowing, you know, a lower rate of shots against, but they they allow a lot of quality looks back, and they're not creating that much. You know, their offense isn't going off the charts, and I don't think we should ever expect that for a Rick Bonus team. Like, we know what the Dallas Stars look like. It's a little bit bland, a little bit more boring, but the thing is, he the difference maker is their goaltender. He's keeping them afloat. I yeah. think if you have an average goalie in the mix, their record isn't nearly as strong, and that can change. We've seen it where... You know, a new coach comes in, the goalie's going to lead the way, the team's going to follow as they clinch onto the systems afterwards and kind of meet that goaltender in the middle. I don't know if that's the case in Winnipeg because we know that Hellenbuck can be incredible and he can be incredible over long stretches and be a difference maker for his team. He just doesn't always get the credit that he deserves because the Jets aren't a playoff team at all times and somehow that falls on him when he's the difference maker the majority of the time. So I think the Jets have a lot of work to do to support their goaltender to really be a true threat and a true like team that we look at as a contender he's elite um as is matthew barzell as are you uh one third of the uh the always dangerous and always entertaining too many men podcast shannon goldman's been my guest uh always good catch oh what's the hot shoe by the way for this year i know you and i always text about shoes what's the hot shoe well we're loving nike blazers we do want a pair of <laughs> high top nike blazers as we discussed yes. but right now my eyes are on those yeah. mighty ducks ultra boost i have to pick which pair i want because which I, way I are you leaning what are the, what's what's the what's the color pattern you're leaning towards i think i'm the maroon and teal is i think is very wearable but yeah. i do love that green and purple green man it's I'm so nice you. You. but i do have a pair of green and purple ultra boost they're the buzz lightyear ones and they're very light colored so they're different completely mm-hmm. different but i'm like mm. I feel like I might need to have a little more variety. One one of these shows and one of these days, we're going to have the uh, the color conversation about uh, underrepresented colors on uniforms in the NHL. And you will, I hope, come to the same conclusion that I've come to. Not enough green. There's not enough green. And I know, like, Kings, man. Like, Kings have this beautiful... <sighs> Kings have the, the perfect retro. opportunity. I know. It's, so it's nice. elite. It's so, I Just know, go it's back so to it. I know. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, and look, man, they won last night. Come on, let's go Kings. 3-1. to one. They beat the Oilers. Um, controversial. Edler on McDavid. We'll talk about that later on. Uh, Shannon, you're the best. As always, all the best, my friend. We'll chat soon. Okay, thanks for having me. Shannon Goldman uh, is excellent. Um, hey, Shay is the, uh, the Twitter feed. Uh, Too Many Men podcast is the podcast. And you can also read her in The Athletic. Coming up in hour two, Elliot Friedman stops by a number of things to get to with Elliot, amongst other things, what we saw last night and uh, and a busy night around the NHL this evening with 13 games. Uh, Sam Cosentino's prospect list is out for the month. And there's a couple of surprises in there. Oh, here's not a surprise. Connor Bedard, number one. Get used to that. Park it. Long-term deposit. Result guaranteed. But joining me next, adjustedhockey.com is the website you have to check out. 
Uh, Paul Peduti, uh, we're going to talk about the Hall of Fame Hall of Fame class, the class that just went in, and some of the decisions on the horizon, both immediate and long-term. And maybe maybe we have a chance, I'll look back and do a little bit of, oh, I don't know, Hall of Fame oversight, maybe going as far back as, dun-dun-dun-dun, Lauren Shabbat? I know, I know. It's me, come on. Taking a break, Paul Paduti coming up from AdjustedHockey.com. Merrick show continues across the Sportsnet radio network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Uh, this is Rich, my buddy Mike Agello. You might know in this uh, and in the tr- southwestern Ontario area as Mike in Buffalo, one of the great Maple Leaf callers of all time. Text me, Lauren Shabbat reference, drink. I think he's sick of me talking about Lauren Shabbat. I need to find a new victim that I can talk to about Lauren Shabbat. I have a great idea who that might be. His name is Paul Paduti from AdjustedHockey.com, and he joins me now. Hello, Paul. How are you today, sir? Hi, Jeff. I am great and uh, truly excited to be on your show. Oh, well, listen, uh, don't, don't, don't get too excited here. I can always steer this thing off the road quickly. But uh, <laughs> listen, it's, a, it's, it's really a pleasure to have you on. Um, you've kind of taken the hockey. Like, I'll be honest with you, Paul. Like, I, I can't tell you how many people have either DM'd or texted me and said, do you know who Paul Peduti is? And, I mean, I was acquainted with your, your work a uh, number of weeks ago. And I'm like, yeah, of course, this guy's this guy awesome. Um, and it's funny, too. The project has kind of been sitting out there for someone to really take hold of. Um, and I don't want to do it any injustice by using my words. So in, in, in loose form, what you've done is you have a formula for determining worthiness of Hall of Fame induction for various players, both current and past as well. That's how I would describe what you do. How would you describe it? I think that's a great description. Uh, that that really was what I had hoped to get out of it. Originally, when I just started on it, it was about comparing players and eras. And before you know it, I had a Hockey Hall of Fame methodology, and I've been pretty stunned at how positive the reception is, I'll be honest with you, Jeff. Well, I mean, there have been a number of people who, I mean, it's always a, it's always fun to do the day after the Hall of Fame, right? It's like, okay, so now let's talk about snubs. I mean, it's everyone's favorite. It's a, it's a snub. Let's talk about snubs. And everybody has their own, you know, pet players. You know, I've always mentioned Lauren Shabbat, and my buddy Mike just texted me, oh, here we go, another Lauren Shabbat reference out of Merrick. Um, but I think I have a few. Um, even anyone listening to this program uh, probably has a few in their back pocket. Why isn't this person in the, in the Hall of Fame? Why is... Why is this person in and, and this person not in? Um, and I just want to jump in with a with a couple of names uh, to throw your way. And, and I know that there's one that you're particularly passionate about, and I don't disagree with you at all on it. And it's interesting. Brian Burke was on the show Monday, and he's part of the uh, the selection committee. And he said, in a in a kind of passing way, but there was there was a lot to what he said, and I think he's right. He was talking about goaltenders, and we were talking about Roberto Luongo, and he said, you know, Luongo goes in as a goaltender, and I'm paraphrasing Berkey here, which is probably one of the more underrepresented positions in the Hall of Fame. 
which, you know, my Spidey sense starts tingling and starts saying, okay, so now all of a sudden do we think the Hall of Fame selection committee is going to start to warm up more and start putting in more goaltenders. Now, I understand your bias. You're a goaltender yourself. So we'll get that out of the way right away. But I want to ask you about Curtis Joseph, because I know you're really passionate about Cujo. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I could talk about Cujo all day. Um, The thing, and you nailed it, you nailed it, Jeff. There's been 13 goalies elected that have played principally since the 1967 expansion. And to me, that's just not enough. There's been 61 forwards in that same time period. So it's it's strange, uh, I'll be honest. But Cujo is a guy. He was the guy in the NHL. I have a stat called High Noon, mm-hmm. and it's essentially like the World Golf Rankings, and I've uh, deployed it back in history. And Cujo was at the very top of the goaltending profession. Um, in my standard PPS, he far exceeds it. Uh, the biggest thing to me is I think everyone is assuming that Henrik Lundqvist is going to roll in on the first ballot, and I think he should. But Cujo's career is nearly identical, and that's where I think this is a big platform for Cujo to say, if Hank's in, these guys are really comparable. Um, I think he should be right beside him, quite frankly. What, what are some of the numbers that, uh, that outline that? Is there anything you can, I know I'm sort of asking you on the spot here, but I mean, that, that's, a, that's a huge claim, <laughs> saying that, uh, that Curtis Joseph's career um, is, is similar to Henrik Lundqvist. Is there something you could point to specifically? And by the way, I love the, I've always just called it peak performer. Uh, yours is a lot cooler, high noon performer. I like that. Yeah, it's a shout out to the uh, the Arkells, my favorite band. Nice. Uh, that that's one of their albums. But uh, in terms of my standard, even with that really high standard we kicked around, you need to be a three seventeen in my system. And Cujo is a three thirty eight. So on the whole of his career, he's there. But the points I'd add is he was top five for the Vezina five times. Mm-hmm. He was a starter on Team Canada. Um, in terms of things that jump out, like I mentioned, he was at the top of the sport and the equivalent of the world hockey rankings for goalies. And even on the qualitative side, which I do like to kick around a lot, he, he was beloved, like in three different franchises, the Blues, the Oilers, the Leafs, and he carried some teams that probably shouldn't have been as far into the playoffs mm. as they were on his back. So uh, I think he's a total package for me, and, you know, he's Lundqvist's equal. Uh, we have a lot to get to, or else I'd, I'd be laboring. I love talking about Cujo as well. But sticking with net miners, and I just want to get it out of the way, uh, the drum that I've been banging for a number of years, various of his family members have uh, banged this drum for a long time as well. Uh, I know because I've asked people before on the selection committee um, why this player is not in, and one of the things that I consistently get back is, well, no one's old enough to have seen him play, uh, and that's Lauren Shabbat. According to yeah. your formula, where does Lauren Shabbat, is he in the hall or does he stay outside of the hall? He is actually just above, so I'm sure you're happy to hear that. He's Good. a very forgot, He's a very forgotten man. Um, him and Dave Kerr, a Rangers legend, are yep. the two guys in that long, long era that just seem to have been glossed over. Um, it's tough with the data because shots on goal weren't counted until the 50s, right? Yep. So well, there's some limits, but to me, he easily could have slipped in. There's no doubt. Okay, good enough for me. Put him in next year. Okay, that's fine. We'll move. Uh, we'll, we'll move on to a couple here. Um, sure. So you mentioned Curtis Joseph, and I'm going to go over a couple of other hot buttons here that people always uh, always come back to. One is Rod Brindamore, and the other is Alex McGilney. 
spot on either of these two based on your formula? Are they both in or out? McGillney is long overdue, uh, putting aside sort of the pioneering role he played with Europeans coming to North America. Mm-hmm. Um, he, by the numbers, is, I believe he's an 85-point player in a neutral environment over his entire career, long overdue. Um, I know Rod Brindamore is the guy lately because he's an awesome coach and everybody loves him. I do find his candidacy has taken uh, a bit of a bump upwards more because he's you know kind of the it coach lately mm-hmm. doesn't quite get there on the numbers for me um he's outside so I, that one is one i probably would arm wrestle a bit on i just don't see it myself by the numbers uh what about players that are in the game right now actually before we get there someone who is no longer playing but you know uh you know won uh, stanley cup with the st louis blues about 15 minutes ago and that's jay bowmeister Jay Bowmeister's yeah. international resume is really thorough. He's part of a Stanley Cup winning team with the St. Louis Blues. Um, had a lengthy, lengthy career um, uh, un- until his un- unfortunate situation. Um, what about Jay Bowmeister? Is there a chance here for Jay Bow? As big a fan as I am, he he's really far back of the standard. Um, He's a 30-point player in a neutral era, and I know points were absolutely not his thing, but the hard part for J-Bo is he was never top 10 for the Norris. And when I think of guys like him, if you're not Rod Langway where you're getting Norris uh, trophies and heart votes and everyone kind of appreciates you in that regard, it's really hard to place him with the Prongers and the Niedermeyers and the Lidstroms of his era. Mm-hmm. You know, it, that's interesting that you um, that you mentioned Rod Langway because as much as we think that goaltenders are underrepresented in the hall, and they are, uh, I also find that defensive defensemen are as well. That that's the one area. And again, it's like really hard, you know, quantitatively to look to say like, okay, I'm going to make a case now for Adam Foote. But I've long believed that, you know, if there's a Scott Niedermeyer offensively that goes in, there needs to be a room for an Adam Foote defensively that goes in. Is that an underrepresented area of the hall for you? And if so, is there a way to capture that? So you can point to, you know, much like you do for, uh, for, for forwards and for offensive defensemen, look, this is why they deserve to be in. It's a very difficult one. I'll be perfectly upfront about that. I think that defensive players are underrated in my system. Um, it, just cause the data points aren't there. Right. Um, we tend to talk more about, um, defensive players who have decent offense right and some of the guys we're talking about probably a little behind of the standard that you might expect so Mm -hmm. i i don't see it um you made a great point though jeff there in the last uh 55 years you have to be in the upper 1.2 percent of defensemen to be in the hall of fame like this has gotten a bit ridiculous in terms of how hard it is because everyone loves forwards right they score it's you know it's spicy to have a forward into the hall of fame people celebrate them but defensemen as a whole let alone the niche you mentioned of defensive defensemen are even more represented so you've really got something there i think well, we'll see where that goes. Uh, considering how influential I am in this industry, it will go nowhere, Paul. I assure you, it will go nowhere. Okay, let me ask you a few of, of play, players that are in the game right now. And these are players that are uh, on the older side of things, on the shady side of the mountain. We like to talk about, well, first of all, we'll get a couple out of the way early. Sid, Ovi, and Bergeron are going in the Hall of Fame. Let's just get that out of the way, correct? 
No question. Uh, I'll drive them there myself to show for them. <laughs> okay, so done. Um, wondering about a couple of others. What about a someone like Joe Pavelski? I, uh, if someone would have asked me that a year ago, I would have shook my head and I cranked the numbers and Joe Pavelski is very underrated. Um, he rates really well. He's actually... Uh, just above the standard now in my system, if you can believe that. Huh. Uh, yeah, he he's played in a time where there weren't a lot of goals. Um, he's been on a lot of good teams. Yeah, he, he pops out as someone that is worthy, and he's just above the standard. So 235 is the standard. Yeah. He's 239, and he's still playing, and he's playing really well. So I think uh, he might not be a guy people talk about, but I think, uh, you know, down the road, he's someone that I might be pushing for in, you know, five, ten years. Here's the thing, and people may you can argue with, with this, but you might quibble about this point that I'm going to make here, but I think the best line in the NHL right now is Jason Robertson, Rupe Hins, and Joe Pavelski. I'll make the point that Joe Pavelski, if he's, you know, uh, on the, on the, or just above the, the cut line for the Hall of Fame, he's still playing on the top line in the NHL. Like, I think that top line for Dallas is the best line in the league, Paul. Uh, I agree. The only, the only uh, line that jumped out when you said that was maybe when Bergeron, Marchand, and Posternock are playing together, but yeah. they're the best of the best. Um, what about John Tavares? Uh, I am a big fan in my system of him. He's an 82-point player in a neutral setting. Um, that's elite, and he's a two-time Hart finalist. There are no two-time Hart finalists outside of the Hall of Fame that are eligible, so I think he's got that working for him too. Interesting. Chris Letang, let's go for a couple of defensemen here. Chris Letang. Uh, my system loves Chris Letang, and it actually says that he was the best defenseman in hockey for quite a stretch. It's just he never played full season, so right. he didn't get the Norris love, and he didn't get the gaudy totals because he didn't finish a lot of years, but uh, I think he should go in. All right, one of the great personalities of the game. I love this, just shotgun style with you, Paul. Uh, uh, from Minnesota to San Jose, now in Carolina, where he plies his trade, Brent Burns. He This season, he's going to move from borderline to qualified in my system. Uh, and he's got the Norris. He's a really fun guy. I think people don't think about that enough. If you're borderline, that's why I created this borderline tier because I want people to talk about what pushes someone up or down. And to me, Burns should be celebrated. Uh, great guy, fun. Um, I think he's going to get in eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I should have thrown one other name in that conversation with, with Bergeron and Connor and Alex Ovechkin. Uh, do you put Victor Hedman in that convo? Uh, I do. I think when we look back at Victor Hedman, we're going to say, I never realized how good that guy was. And wow, that's that's remarkable considering he's considered one of the best defensemen uh, in the NHL. What about Eric Carlson? Um, I put him in the same group and I know what you think. Uh, I'm just letting everyone in the hall of fame now, but the standard <laughs> is pretty high. You're just, you're just mentioning some really, okay. really great players. So Carlson, a, a fun point for you, Jeff. Yeah. He has the fifth best adjusted point pace in history. I know he's still playing, but yeah. that's, yeah, that's something. And he's having a, a, a boffo year right now. Uh, okay, so maybe this is in the in the category of historical oversight, but I'm trying to figure out and trying to get a reason here for the Detroit Red Wings um, to 
to re-retire his number because once upon a time, Larry Ory's number six was retired by the Detroit Red Wings. And then when Mike Illich bought the team, he unretired it. To my knowledge, uh, there's been no, there's no been no explanation that's really been able to hold much water at all. I don't know that there's a a process that Detroit went through to unretire his number in the first place. I do know that since they unretired it, no one has worn the number six. Uh, but is Larry? Can I make a Hall of Fame case for Larry Ory if he's if he's available for the Hall? Maybe Detroit will look favorably and reinstate number six. Um, I I had to look up uh, Larry because I hadn't got any requests about him. You are the first. Uh, I I went down that road and looked into him. It, it was a more inclusive Hall of Fame uh, in his era, and he's the standards one five five, and he's one five one. So I have him in the borderline below. Uh, He's really close. Like, had he gotten in then, um, I don't think anyone would have blinked. Mm -hmm. But uh, a few guys above him um, aren't in, and a few guys below him are in. So I I think you're on to something. Would I wave the flag given how many great players there are today that aren't in? I don't know, but um, it's a reasonable take. I like how you're being very polite and saying, I don't know, when really what you're trying to say is, Jeff, sorry to break your heart, but Larry Ory is not going into the Hockey Hall of Fame. <laughs> really appreciate that, Paul. Okay, a couple, and this is on behalf of my producer, Matt Marchese. Uh, Sergey Gonchar, Pierre Turgeon, Bernie Nichols. Are there one, two, or three of these three? Anyone work for you for these? Gonchar should be the next defenseman in the Hall of Fame, and if I had four guys that were going in NHL players, he would be one of them next year. I'm a big Gonchar guy. Mm-hmm. Um, underrated due to Lidstrom, I think, uh, being his competition. Yep. Bernie Nichols is very hall of very good in my system. I have a tier called that, and that's exactly where he falls. So mm-hmm. it's not feeling uh, Bernie. And uh, I'm sorry, Jeff, the third? Pierre, was, Tur- Pierre Turgeon. Uh, Pierre Turgeon matches Daniel Alfredson in almost every category. I think the reason nobody is pumping up Pierre is because he played 200 games on four different franchises, and he's just sort of lost in the shuffle. But Uh by production, he is Daniel Alfredson's equal, so there's a spicy take. (laughs) No, That's interesting, though, because I only got a couple of minutes here, Paul, but the, 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 the interesting thing about that is there are certain players that get in in order to not just get in based on their own credentials, but open the door for others. Like when Pavel Bury went in the Hall of Fame, that opened the door for Eric Lindros. Now, I thought Eric Lindros, and I think a lot of us did too, should have been in the Hall of Fame years before he got into Agreed. the Hockey Hall of Fame. But it wasn't until Bure got in that I think the rest of the selection committee could say, okay, well, look at Bure's career, as brief as it may have been. You know, you talk about high noon impact, right? Or, or as I call it, peak performer impact. Like you could say the same thing about Eric Lindros and it became easier for the selection committee to say, okay, we'll give royal assent here to Eric Lindros because we've put Burre in. I do wonder about, you know, this year's class and if Alfredson is in. That's interesting about Pierre Turgeon, if they are more similar than they are different, if this is the opening of the door for Turgeon. It's a valid point. Um, and one of the findings and takeaways I've had is guys that bounce around enough um, tend not to have that uh, memorable sweater that they're in. And it seems like guys that bounce around more 
um, don't get the same love that guys are, you know, Alfredson was the iconic captain. He made yeah. Ottawa relevant. And I think that gives him a boost and don't get me wrong. Intangible should be part of the discussion. Mm-hmm. It's just really hard in terms of data to separate the two guys. And I think if you're with uh, one team for the majority of your career, Alfredson mainly with Ottawa and then had that brief spell with the Detroit Red Wings, it, the organization kind of gets behind you more. Uh, for that push. That's a really good point. Uh, Paul, wish we had more time, and I do want to do this again because, uh, to be honest, this is this is just flat out a lot of fun. Check out the website, adjustedhockey.com. Paul, this has been a pleasure. Uh, accountant by day and uh, grading Hall of Fame players by night. I love it. You've carved a really unique niche here in this industry. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Uh, it's my pleasure, Jeff. I'd love to come back uh, whenever you've got an opening. Would love it. Love Thank you very much. It. Thanks, Paul. Uh, adjustedhockey.com. Check that out. Uh, Sam Cosentino and Elliot Friedman joining me next for Hour 2. Keep it here. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Standing by for Sam Cosentino from the NHL on Sportsnet. To talk about, amongst other things, his latest prospect list. Your Connor Bedard's, your Adam Fantilli's, your Matt Michkoff's. This draft is good, man. This draft is, like, this is one of those drafts we're going to look back and say, wow, everybody got a player. And, you know, teams in the top five got a real player. And teams in the top three as well. Maybe top four. And I know that a player like Madfei Michkov comes with um, a lot of issues. Certainly there is an international issue with Michkov, to say nothing of the fact that he still has a contract over there and won't be available for quite some time. But nonetheless, elite-level players in this year's draft. Uh, and that's where we're going to begin with Sam Cosentino from the NHL on Sportsnet, our lead draft analyst. How are you today, Sammy? Yeah, doing great, Jeffy. Thanks for having me on. Fun, uh, uh, fun making a new list. Oh, uh, I, I bet. I mean, this is this is the beginning of it, and we know how these things change throughout the season. And I do want to ask you about Leo Carlson here in a couple of moments. But first, before we get there, uh, I want to ask you about last night and the Ottawa Senators and the Buffalo Sabers, and on display. Like, first of all, like Sanderson looks fantastic. He's dynamic. Um, of all the younger players, and I'll still throw Tage Thompson into that conversation, Erasmus Dallin, a former first overall draft pick as well. Uh, amongst players that you've, you know, followed going through the draft, um, who stands out for you right now from those two teams last night, Ottawa and Buffalo, and why? Well, for sure, it's, it's Sanderson for me. Because of the time missed, for him to step right in and to essentially move into a number one role, I think Branstrom might have played a little bit more than than Sanderson did last night, but block shots, he had five of those career high, shots on goal, four of those a career high, a couple of assists. Um, he got beat once, I think, by Thompson, but he had Thompson's number for most of the night. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was a matchup that DJ Smith wanted to have uh, was, was impressive because, you know, you look at Tate Thompson, and over the calendar year, I think we showed it last night, yeah. he's, he's eighth. Eighth in the league. That's Pasternak. That's McDavid. That's Drysaddle. He's eighth. So that's a pretty tall task for for a young guy in the blue line. Sanderson handled it quite well. 
uh, was outstanding. Um, okay, so to a couple of things here. I want to get the Connor Bedard conversation out of the way because this guy's going first overall, long-term deposit, result guaranteed. Your thoughts on Connor Bedard and the Bedard show is on right next Sunday. Like it, this is, I talked to someone in the Western League on Saturday and they said, we've never seen anything like this. You know, one player going building to building and selling it out. You know, the Blades have a, a huge building, as we know. I think it holds 15,000. Uh, they normally draw 3,000 on a Sunday just shy of 8,000 on Sunday for the Regina Pats and Connor Bedard. You know, Winnipeg, pair of sellouts off to BC. You know, Vancouver, obviously that's going to be a sellout. It's been sold out for three weeks. Victoria, sellouts. Um, you know, Kelowna, Kamloops, PG. Like, we've never seen this type of phenomenon in the Western Hockey League where one player goes town to town and sells out the building single-handedly. Do you have a thought on the, the phenom that is Connor Bedard? Well, it hasn't really happened. So if I go back to the draft a couple of years ago where we had Cousins and Byram and, and Doc and that group, uh, you know, that was a pretty impressive group of players. But I don't think at that time in their careers, one of them really stuck out above everybody else. Mm. Whereas this year, you have equally as talented a class, I believe, when you talk about Riley Height um, and you're looking at uh, Nate Danielson and you're looking at some of these other players, Braden Yeager, that are going to be in that conversation. So they're helping raise the tide as well. But it's clear that Bedard sticks out ahead of all of those guys. So if you're a Western Hockey League fan, you're getting a chance to see a generational player, the first ever player granted exceptional status in that league. So he's a little bit of a unicorn in that way. And I really appreciate how the league, really as far wide as it spreads, has uh, embraced Connor Bernard, what he brings to the table, and, and the next great NHL star. Give us the skill set. Give us the the snapshot. Give us the uh, the give us the uh, give us the uh, the scouts card on Connor Bernard. Well, minor hockey, he ended up breaking breaking a wrist, and as part of the rehab, coming back is really the result of what we see as his best asset: his ability to shoot and release the puck with a lot of a lot of deception, a lot of speed, a lot of accuracy. So it's that goal-scoring acumen that's, that rises above all other assets. And, and as you know, Jeff, it's that asset gets paid a lot of money in the National Hockey League as a free agent. It requires a lot in a trade back to acquire a player who does those things. Or if you're drafting that player, it's really difficult to find. I mean, you know, look at Austin Matthews and, and, and McDavid. These guys are really generational players. So... To have that one single asset as your greatest asset is the thing that's going to make you the most money, but it's also something for him that's going to play in terms of talent level at, in the National Hockey League. So then you look at skating, the ability to curl and drag, show some deception mm-hmm. um, in, in his playmaking, which I think is really underrated element to his game. So there's a lots, lots of different things going on there. Where I think he's improved is that first step quickness. And I think that's something that's uh, that's really changed in this game, and that's kind of given him a little bit, at times, if you watch him, Jeff, or see some of the highlights, a little bit of that McDavid-esque type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Sam Cosentino, his latest draft rankings available at sportsnet.ca. Um, Leo Carlson. Like, we, we've looked at this race, and we've said, okay, there's Conor Bedard, there's Adam Fantilli, there's Matvey Michkov. Tell us what we need to know about Leo Carlson, who you have in at number two, and he's playing in the SHL. Leo Carlson's an interesting guy, Jeff, because when you go back to his Alenka tournament, he didn't really stand out. You kind of knew 
of him at 6'3", 190 pounds. So he stood out from a physical perspective, but he didn't really stand out from a skill perspective. And now we've seen him go into the SHL. He puts up 12 points in his first 17 games. He comes back to play with his, um, with his peer group in the U-20s, which actually is still a little bit older than his age, and uh, in the international break here, and lights it up there. So for a young man, first-year draft eligible, to put up those kind of numbers in the SHL is really, really rare. Now, numbers alone, is, he's an exception in, in that regard. But when you look at a guy who's 6'3", 190, who moves extremely well, who has the creativity and, vi- and vision that Carlson has, plus the ability to score, you're looking at a guy who can do a number of things, and if one particular element of his game doesn't work, then the others do. And I think that's really special about this player. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, Jeff, you know how it goes with size. Size is always going to be preferred when two people are of equal or close to, to yep. talent levels. Absolutely. Um, Adam Fantilli and, and Matvey Michkov. Now, Michkov comes with, as I was mentioning before he came on, some baggage. Some of it involves his home country. Some of it involves his contract. Uh, Adam Fantilli uh, playing with the University of Michigan. He's a Wolverine and is, to no surprise, ripping it up. What should we know about these two players? How anyone can go into uh, a season as a freshman uh, in the NCAA and put up two points per game and lead the country in scoring at any point, let alone whatever 12 games into the season, is, uh, I mean, I can't remember the last time that's happened. Now, I'm not a huge NCAA guy as I am a CHL guy, so, I, you know, I might be, I might be a miss there, but mm-hmm. it's a rarity in, in any regard. You're talking about a guy with size, speed, Really likes to, to get in there. Although he's not a physical player, he'll go to a lot of the dirty areas on the ice. Mm-hmm. And I think he's a guy that, um, uh, when you look at his creativity and his ability to score goals, um, plus you add that in the package with size and speed, again, a bit of a rarity. So it's funny because you look at Bedard, and Bedard has that goal-scoring element. He's a little bit smaller. Yeah, there are some uh, defensive deficiencies there. And you look at the other two big guys in terms of Carlson and Fantilli, you add the size, but a pretty good skill set as well. Mm -hmm. So now you're starting to make that comparison. And then Matvey Michkov, I mean, really difficult to to speak about him because of the geopolitical concerns. The contract issue is something I think you can overcome based on what we've seen from Vasily Podkolzin. But having said that, you have a president who really likes his hockey players. Um, you know, the war is still going on. How long it's going to last, nobody really knows. Is there going to be a military element that he will have to fulfill? Is it a situation where, quite frankly, the president can, of the country can say, we love this young hockey player and we want him to stay here to promote our league, yep. to provide a bit of a distraction for, for our country? So. In a hockey vacuum, he deserves to be in the conversation with the three that we've already talked about. Uh, this will be a fascinating draft for uh, for a number of reasons. And uh, I want to ask you about, if I have time here, a couple of goaltenders. Um, but I want to ask you about Ryan Leonard as well. What should we know about him? So when it comes to Ryan Leonard, um, his brother John is, uh, you know, has played some time in the NHL yep. and now works in uh, in Milwaukee. So... Ryan Leonard is absolutely ripped. I had the chance to meet him at this Five Nations tournament. He's absolutely shredded, a physical specimen, but a guy who skates extremely well, handles the puck at high speed, 
if you look him up, his most recent goal against Finland in the Five Nations might be one of the goals of the year at any level you're going to find. But he plays with a physical bite to his game. He enjoys that part of the game, um, yet he has speed and he has skill to go along with it. So, again, a real interesting package for me. I'm looking at four first-rounders coming out of that U.S. under-18 program. Mm. Currently, Leonard is my top pick of the four. Yeah, let me ask you about that Five Nations as well. In Plymouth, you and, and Jason Bukla were there. What were some of your other big takeaways from that one? Great to hang out with Jason and get his scouting acumen that I clearly don't have. Um, but for me, a great networking opportunity. The fact that it was in Plymouth, Jeff, allowed uh, the opportunity for several GMs, I think I saw 10 of them over the three days I was there, um, to get out there and actually see players firsthand. Typically, that event is held in Europe, so it's not uh, conducive for general managers to take time off in the middle of the season to go there and watch it. When it's in your backyard, you can slip out for a few days when your team's not playing or maybe at home and get in there and watch some guys that you might not otherwise get a chance to see. So it was an unbelievable event. We had the Swedes, the Finns, Czechia was there, Switzerland was there, and, of course, the U.S. under-18 program. So you're looking at a, at a plethora of players, um, you know, available for, for this draft. And probably, you know, off the top of my head, you're looking at probably 10 first-rounders in attendance. So a really important event for us to attend and great to hang out with, uh, with JB and continue to learn from him. Who, uh, who did you pull out of this tournament? Like who, who really popped for you? Well, Leonard was one. Uh, Will Smith and Ollie Moore, both of the U.S. under-18 program, I thought were, were absolutely fantastic. Gabe Parole, the other son of, of, uh, of Yannick Parole, uh, who we saw play the, mm-hmm. in the National Hockey League for so many years, such a smart player. Uh, Liam Dower-Nilsson playing for Sweden, had a chance to speak with him. Otto Stenberg, who loved it. Um, he's the guy that stuck out. And one guy that I didn't include on my list of 32, he kind of just uh, snuck by me there, was uh, Axel Dandine Pelika. So he's an interesting character. He's got defenseman. a Finnish last name and a Swedish last name. So uh, right shot defenseman, really yeah. good skater. Uh, we'll, we'll be in the first round. Uh, I omitted him by, uh, purely by accident this time around. Uh, these are some really intriguing names, and I want to throw one more out at you in the couple of minutes that we have left. About a month ago, I got a, a, a text from someone saying, what can you tell me about Michael Harabel of the USA, USHL's Omaha Lancers? And did a bit of research and, and texted a couple of, uh, of goalie coaches that I know that are involved in the scouting end of things, and they say, this guy has popped on the scene, super legit. Don't be surprised if he sneaks into the top 10 at this year's NHL draft. I know you and I have had the conversation about goaltenders in the first round, but where do you put a rabble? Because I know you have him in your top 32. It's another goalie as well from the Wheat Kings. We'll get there. What do you think of rabble? Well, everyone's going to fall in love with the size. I mean, big goaltenders just by proxy cover more of the net. But you're looking at a guy, again, who back in the link really started to open some eyes for some people. And then he goes into the USHL against some older competition. And up until about a week ago was sailing along smoothly with about a 935 save percentage. He's had a couple of bumps in the road since that time. But, you know, if you're going to go down the road of drafting a goalie in the first round, you'd want to take your chances on a 6'6 guy because of less risk. I, I guess you'd have to say. Right. So you're looking at a guy who does a really good job covering the low part of the net. I'd like to see him stand up more. I don't know why mm. big guys don't stand up more um, because you're covering even more than that. But I guess when you're down and then the butterfly, your shoulders still 
come up around the post area, although you do leave a little space open, and we've seen that space be utilized at the NHL level more and more recently. So um, a guy that I think gets into the first round for, for a top 10 pick, um, I think this draft is too deep with skilled forwards to go down that road. I think he starts to enter the conversation at about 15 or 16. I think he ends up going a little bit further down than that. But let's uh, have the caveat there of, of see what teams have multiple first-round picks. Because if that's the case, then you're sure. more prone to, to use one of them with a goalie. I got to tell you, I was kind of surprised to see two on your list, Sammy. Yeah, I was surprised too. I don't like doing it. I'm not a big goalie guy. <laughs> if you're the GM, you can give the guy a handshake. You can put the jersey on him on the stage, and then you can say, I'll see you when I'm with another team because general managers don't last long enough for goalies to take their seven years to develop. It's just That's really how it goes. Unless you're getting to carry Price and Mark andre Fleury, yeah. but those guys are unicorns and they're tough to come by. Um, can I ask you about Michael Misa? Yes. So, yeah. Saginaw is a fascinating team. Like, I, I, I think they want to bid for the Memorial Cup as well next season. Maybe as a way to, you know, help showcase Michael Misa. Um, you know, the, we mentioned, you know, Connor Bedard granted exceptional status into, into the Western League. He was granted exceptional status uh, to go into the OHL uh, at the end of last season after a great OHL Cup that really, that really pushed him over the top. He's looking fantastic playing with, uh, with Saginaw right now. Uh, what are your thoughts early on here on, on, on Michael Misa and Saggy? I'm, I'm so happy for the young man. He's a little bit on the smaller side, but when you get an exceptional player, the spotlight is always on you. So he comes out of the under-17s, played well there, but previous to that, playing with Saginaw, you know, sitting in the top 15 and scoring in the OHL as a, as a 15-year-old is, is super, super impressive. Yeah. You know, and, and Saginaw has really become a destination here over the last couple of years. Dave Drinkle started his career working with the Barry Colts as an assistant coach and assistant general manager, really good in the player procurement department, is not afraid to go and pick U.S.-born players, even in the under-18 program. Bodie Wild would be one of them. Yep. And trying to get them to commit to his program. You know, you've got Chris Osgood as part of the ownership group there. They have done amazing work in their facilities, Jeff. Their facilities there, mm-hmm. it's got an old shelter and an old shell if you will and an old barn on the inside when you're sitting in it but underneath where the players are first class lounge the media room theater like it's really unbelievable what they've done there mm-hmm. chris lazary is the head coach continues yep. to, to prop uh, pump out nhl draft picks and, and michael meese is going to be another one of them so he's in a great spot with a team that's kind of back on the rebuild hasn't really taken them long to, to fall out of contention to get right back into it from the days of Ryan Suzuki and Cole Perfetti. So I love what their program's doing right now, and I think that Michael Misa is going to be a huge part of that. And it would be kind of cool to see an American team host the Memorial Cup. I don't know if it'll happen, yeah. but good on them if they go to bid for it. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, I, I, I seem to think that Seattle wanted to bid not too long ago as well. Like, there are American teams that have... That have, that have tried to get into this conversation. Um, I know whether it's I don't know, what sponsorship issues or, or whatever could complicate these types of things, but it, it, I'm with you. Like, it would be unique. Like, I know that 
Niagara has submitted their intent to bid. Uh, Kingston has. Sault Ste. Marie has as well. Um, I do wonder about Ottawa. I mean, just so we're all on the same page here, everyone listening and watching, the Memorial Cup goes back to the OHL uh, next season. This year it's in the Western League. Next year it's it's in the Ontario Hockey League. Um, I could see Ottawa, and I'm... I just, I just have a feeling that's, that Saginaw might be there as well um, when all is said and done. But we shall see. Sam, great list as always. Always great catching up. Great job last night on, on television handling the Buffalo Sabres and the Ottawa Senators. And we will catch up soon, my friend. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks, Jeffy. There he is, Sam Cosentino, uh, lead draft analyst. His latest rankings available at sportsnet.ca. And also, you can watch him on the NHL on Sportsnet last night on Scotiabank Wednesday night. Hockey. Thanks to Sam for stopping by. Elliot Friedman, Paul Paduti from AdjustedHockey.com was just fantastic. I could do that all day, just naming players. They go to the Hall of Fame. She go to the Hall of Fame. And uh, Shannon Goldman from The Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Merrick Show back on the air Friday at noon Eastern. Have a great one. 13 games tonight. Whew. Watch as much as you can. Eyeballs getting a workout this evening. Enjoy.